0: You know, I always solicit your responses and I always look for a vibrant response. Some re- for some reason, it reminds me of back home in Jamaica. And I always mention Jamaica. I just want to give a shout out to my hometown. But nonetheless, I'm very happy um, to be here. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Yes. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Yes. I ask that you pray for me this morning, especially as we talk about the hill of the Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, The time belongs to you. Father, we make ourselves available to be used and also to be taught. As we open the Bible, dear Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may teach us lessons that you would like for us to learn. And we thank you for all of this, for answering, for promising, and for giving us this great privilege to be here together to worship. And we pray this all. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. I want to welcome all of you for being here at the University Church and also welcome to those online. We are grieving in our hearts, because a good friend of many of us, a mother, a matriarch, has passed away this past Thursday about noon, Aunt Ginny. Ginny Shull. as you know, I you know, affectionately known as Aunt Ginny and Uncle Viv, as I call them. They're going through, um, Uncle Viv especially, is going through a, a tough time. He's encouraged. I was able to visit with them with uh, them before Aunt Ginny passed, and Uncle Viv is, is strong. He is holding up. Just keep him, in, keep him in your prayers. Now, I'm sharing that with you because every single time we, we see things like these happening, we long for heaven more, and we should. Because where God dwells, there is no death. Where God dwells, there's no sin, no suffering, no sorrow, no tears. All those things are non-existent. Today we're talking about the hill of the Lord. How much would you give or spend to spend 15 minutes at the top of the world? How much would you give? what would you take out of your account to allow yourself the privilege to be on top of the highest peak in the world for most people climbing mount everest is is a dream and in fact they spend over sixty thousand between sixty thousand dollars to hundred thousand dollars to make the climb the first man to ever get to the top of mount of mount everest was a man by the name of Edmund Hillary. And on June 6, 1953, he was being celebrated. There was a major celebration in England. All the dignitaries came together, including the Queen, to honor this man who had defeated the tallest mountain in the world. Edmund Hillary was originally from New Zealand. And ever since he was a child growing up, he loved the outdoors. He was an adventurous individual. He often found himself hiking little hills and, and major hills and then mountains, smaller mountains, and then bigger ones. And now Edmund Hillary had climbed the tallest peak. In 1953, on June 6th, the celebration was for him to be honored for his feat. He was being given the highest medal that could be given by someone who had done something of that nature. Who has been given the, the queen, queen Elizabeth II's coronation medal for having climbed the highest peak. Edmund Hillary was being knighted by the Queen. This was a special celebration. Even though he was from New Zealand, he was being celebrated in England and yet all over the world because Edmund Hillary had done something that was seemingly humanly impossible previous to that point. And now... He was being celebrated. Edmund Hillary, by the age of 20, had climbed one of the highest mountains in New Zealand, and he was preparing himself for Mount Everest. He climbed it with only one assistant, someone who was able to guide him on that journey. And when he got to the top, he could only spend 15 minutes. And so he took a photo, and that's the evidence. Edmund Hillary climbed Mount Everest, and he was there for only 15 minutes. Climbing Mount Everest is not an easy task. It's a major feat. To this day, many men attempt to climb to follow Edmund Hillary's footsteps. According to an article I read, they say, of all the people who climb Mount Everest, only 50% actually make it. And those who attempt to make the climb can find themselves in danger almost immediately. When you get to base camp, you're not out of the path of avalanches that might come down the mountainside and crush you in your tent. They say when you talk about percentage, as far as people who actually make it, and saying to make the the, the climb to the the top of Mount Everest is to say that you actually survive the trip and survive coming back down. Most people die in between in the middle of the journey. They say that the reasons why people die, as they say, 12% of deaths are caused by altitude sickness, the weakness of the heart as a result of lack of oxygen at that height. When you get up so high, you need an extra source of oxygen, so you have to take an oxygen tank with you on your way up to Mount Everest. Another 16% of deaths are caused by exposure to the extremely cold temperatures. You might go from negative 20 and drop down immediately to negative 40 degrees as you're traveling up Mount Everest. Couple that with the thought that you have very little oxygen as you're making that climb. Edmund Hillary had done something special. 32% of deaths were caused by fall. Then other percent of deaths were caused by avalanches that came down the mountain, rocks. And they say when you're climbing Mount Everest, You might experience an earthquake. You could experience winds that are blowing at uh, 175 miles per hour during a storm. Just imagine climbing Mount Everest during one of those storms. People die. Every year, they say, at least to this point, there are over 300 deaths that happened as a result of people attempting to climb the tallest peak in the world. And the bodies of those people, some of which are still there on the mountain. And so just imagine a hiker going up Mount Everest and looking in a corner, a crevice, they see a body that is left there frozen, frozen. As a result of someone having not made it to the top. It was explained that if you were to climb Mount Everest, you have a very short window in which to make it to the top and back down. You cannot spend more than 15 minutes at the top. If you stay longer, you're in trouble. You might not make it back to base camp. Go any after this window, and you risk being trapped in a storm. Go early, and you risk falling to your death or other dangers. Go unprepared, without proper equipment, and you will die. To climb Everest, you need extra tools. At the summit, the amount of oxygen that is available, some say, is equivalent to try to breathing through a straw. That's the the amount of oxygen you have at the top, or at least by by the time you get to 8,000 feet of climbing this mountain. And again, over and over, people attempt to make the climb. If you were if you were a beginner attempting to climb Mount Everest, you need an amount, you need some amount of money. You need to invest some cash. Easy, at least if you go the cheaper route, you'll be spending $65,000. And that's the cheaper route. If I'm going to climb Mount Everest, I don't want to go the cheapest route. I do not want to cut corners. If you're going to go the most expensive route, that is to have everything you need, you would at least spend over $100,000 that's a lot of money but yet still people make the climb yet still every year people try to get to the peak of Mount Everest to experience what Edmund Hillary experienced Edmund Hillary when he was asked about his climb said these words in climbing Mount Everest you begin to realize that it's not the mountain you conquer but actually yourself you conquer yourself Climbing Mount Everest involves victory over self. Interesting thought. It involves conquering old habits, old ways of thinking. Am I going to make it? I might not make it today. Now, brothers and sisters, I am not, to be honest with you, I am not interested in climbing Mount Everest. I will not spend the $65,000 to climb Mount Everest. Neither will I spend 100000 to climb Mount Everest. I'm interested in another mountain. I'm not interested in going to the top of a mountain that, 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 that forces me to breathe oxygen as if I'm breathing through a straw. I want to breathe freely. I am not interested in that kind of hill. I am interested in another place. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 24, David talks about this hill. This mountain. Isaiah talks about this mountain too. Isaiah 60, 65, he mentions it. In the mountain of God, the lamb will, will, will lie down with the lion and none will hurt in my holy mountain, the Bible says. You see, Psalm 24 is a beautiful song that was written by David at a particular time. In our reading, as we go, as we read through the Bible each this year, in particular, we, this week, we read through first first Chronicles we read a, a few chapters there and Psalm 24 finds itself in first Chronicles chapter 16 this psalm most believe was written during the time when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back from the home of Obed-Edom to the to, da- to the city of David and you imagine this is a special occasion because the ark of the Lord was now being brought back home. David had finally brought the ark back into its original place or the place that it belonged. During the time when the ark was being brought home, David had called for a major celebration. The ark was the symbol of God's presence. God was coming to town and it needed to be it needed to be. A special event everyone had to take notice this celebration was much higher and greater than Edmunds Hillary's celebration and here it is David had called for the event to be special and just imagine the ark being brought from the home of Obed-Edom and being brought to the the city of God that hill that is set up that tent that is ready to receive the ark the presence of God Now imagine with me for a moment, the procession, the priest marching with the ark, hoisted, held in a solemn way. The singing, the shouting of the people. I imagine the trumpeters blowing their trumpets, getting ready to see a special event. This event was special, of course. The tent in the city of David was in view. As they marched step by step, it was now the place for God to dwell. And David, seeing this, the poet he was, took a literary flight. And he wrote Psalm 24. He was inspired. And David is a beautiful writer, a wonderful writer. And we read Psalm 24, verse 1. And thank you, Ahmad, for reading our scripture today. The earth is the lord's and all its fullness the world and those who dwell therein david immediately in that moment of celebration reminds us who the earth belongs to the earth is the lord's and all its fullness the world and those who dwell therein only a man that is that close to god can attest to this fact the earth though conquered and in some areas seemingly possessed by mankind does not belong to man it belongs to who god how many wars and squabbles have gone down through history over territory that is said to be owned by some man the earth is the lord's why The Bible goes on, for he had founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. David goes back to the book of Genesis, reminding us of creation, reminding us of the beautiful story that we find in scripture where God spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. God brought the earth into existence. He is the founder. He is the founder. Man has nothing except to be borrowed from the originator of it all. David, in his song, then from there takes a leap. And he goes into asking us a very important question for us to consider. He goes on. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? When I read about the risk involved in climbing Mount Everest, I had had to ask myself the very same question. Who will climb this mountain? It takes a special type of person. I almost sounded like David as I said, who may ascend into the top of such a mountain? Edmund Hillary answered the call. The 600, the 50% of those who make it answer that call. And you asked today, who will? Climb to the summit of Mount Everest and people will respond, those who have actually make it, and they say, I will. And I have. I have gotten to the top of the hill. I read somewhere that there are seven things or five things that one will need if he or she attempts to climb Mount Everest. It goes on. The first thing that you will need if you ever attempt to climb Mount Everest is that you must have Desire. Desire is important. If you are going to climb the summit, you must have a desire, a hunger, a a strong desire to get to the top. Otherwise, you will not make it. You'll stop halfway in the middle. They say you need desire. I believe that today there are too many Christians who talk about the mountain of God, talk about heaven, but have no desire to be there. They say if you are going to climb Mount Everest, you also need ambition. In addition, a successful climber must have ambition. That is, one must live the life as if every day he was to climb that mountain. Mount Everest doesn't happen in a day. It happens as you prepare for it in a lifetime. You see, those who climb Mount Everest realize the importance of practice, they spend Hours of every single day practicing, testing their gears, practicing over and over, making sure that every single thing is calculated because they really want to get to the top. There are too many Christians who do not spend time practicing. There are too many Christians who desire to be in heaven but have no ambition. Too many Christians who talk about the hill of God, the mountain of God, but yet still they do not live every day as if they want to be there. And so, you need ambition. They also say that if you were to climb Mount Everest, something else you need is experience. When you have no experience in mountain climbing, it is not likely that you'll reach the summit. Too many of us have belief, but lack experience. Too many of us believe in what God can do, but not allow him to do something for us. Too many of us have no experience with God. It, the article also went on to suggest that what else, the, the other thing that you need if you were to climb Mount Everest is that you need expertise. You need to be an expert because there are times on the mountain and it happens ever so slightly and it can happen to you very quickly. You may find yourself alone, your group might be ahead of you. And you need expertise because if you're climbing the mountain, you need to know what to do and when to do it. Because one wrong step might cause you to fall. There are too many Christians who are Christians but not experts. There are too many of us who talk about the Word of God but have no idea what it says. We talk about the Bible but have no expertise in the things that God teaches. The other thing that was mentioned is that if you were to climb Mount Everest, you also need focus. And I think that's important, don't you? You don't want to climb Mount Everest and being distracted in this at the same time. You cannot fix your eyes on things that go by you every second of every day. You have a focus in front of you. You are climbing to the top. And nothing can deter you from that. To climb Everest, you must have focus. You cannot focus on others and what they are doing. It is your mission and ambition to get to the summit. And you should not stop until you get there. Because it's dangerous to do so. Focus is important. Beloved, if it takes a special person to climb Mount Everest, it also takes a special person to climb the hill of God. If it takes desire to climb Mount Everest, and I told you, as I said in the beginning, I am not willing to invest 65,000, not even 100,000 to climb Mount Everest, but I am invested in everything. I am willing to invest everything to climb to that top where God dwells. You see, Mount Everest may be the tallest mountain in the world, but the hill of God extends beyond this world. In this world of sin and sorrow, we may get to a certain height, but even that height is insufficient because God dwells much higher. And David, looking at the summit, I just imagine David gazing up as far as the eye can see and looking at the summit, he comes down to us and asks us this question, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? The question begs for an answer. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? This summit is hard to climb. And if you are a wishy-washy Christian, you won't make it. If you are a Christian who lacks desire, ambition, experience, expertise, and focus, you will not make the summit. If you are a Christian who is not willing to invest every single thing, you will not make it to the top of the hill. And David answers the question. The Bible says, verse 4, He who has clean hands, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, David doesn't talk about skill. David did not even refer to talent. He did not say that he who has the gift of singing. He did not say he who has the gift of preaching may get to that hill. What David mentions are elements of character. So in order for one to get to the hill of God, he needs what is most important in God's eyes, and that is character. You see, one thing that one will experience if he or she goes to climb Mount Everest, you'll experience the importance of character. If you're one who's used to giving up easily, you will not get to the top. If you're one who's used to thinking that you will not make it or you will not get there, you will not make it either. Beloved, God is interested in character. God is interested in those with clean hands and a pure heart. God is interested in Christians who will give everything, make every sacrifice to be with him. Ibaragi-kun was his name. He was a young man from Kyoto, Japan. This was in the year 1596. During this time, there was an... There was immense persecution in Japan. There was a group of Christians who had been tried on account of their Christianity and found guilty. They were all sentenced to die. They were guilty for simply believing in Christ and what he had done for them and not the religion of the state. And so 26 Christians were marching on to their death. Before them were 26 crosses, crudely put together. They were about to be crucified. And Ibaragi Kun was one of those those Christians. He was but a child. He was about 12 years of age. And an official seeing the event that was about to take place, seeing Ibaragi Kun making his way to this cross, was now having sympathy for this young man and pulled him aside and said, please recant your faith. I do not want to see you die. And the young man looked at the official. Kun responded and said, sir, it would be far better if you became a Christian then you could also be in heaven. He sealed his faith that day. The the officer stared back at the boy, wondering why and how could you have such a strong faith? And while the officer was there standing speechless, Ibaragi Kun responded by saying, Sir, which cross is mine? The bewildered officer pointed to the smallest cross of the 26. The young boy ran to the cross, knelt before it, Embraced it, and moments later he was nailed to it. He was crucified. How much are you willing to give to God? What sacrifices are you willing to make to get to that hill? Ibaragi kun gave his life. There are others who have done so. No one climbs to the hill of God unless he is first willing to sacrifice everything for God. No one climbs unless he has clean hands and a pure heart. Notice, David mentions clean hands and a pure heart. The hands are always used to point. The the hands are always used to work, I should say. The hands are involved in everything that man does. A man will have a hard life if he does not use use his hands. And depending on the task that a man engages in his hands may become dirty he washes them and then they're clean clean hands is a sign of a man who has bowed his will to the will of god with his hands he chooses to do nothing else but serve god with his hands he chooses to do nothing else but to honor god with his hands he chooses to go nowhere else but where god leads him his occupation is decided by god a man who does no other work but the work that God has given him to do. The Christian who does not allow the Lord to use him, who does not allow the Lord to control his hands and his heart, will not make the summit. Climbing the mountain does not take skill. It takes character. One author says, he, referring to the clean hands, is one that is influenced by the governing regard of God in all his actions. He that obeys other commands spontaneously because he has obeyed the first command and the first command is, give me all of your heart. God is interested in all of the heart. Clean hands, a pure heart. Beloved, as a Christian, you cannot keep your hands and hearts clean by yourself. Jesus has to take control of the heart. He has to take control of the hands. And if he does he will take you to that hill. Ultimately, a man who has a clean hand and a pure heart is a man who has given those things over to God to be purified and to be used only by God. And we have difficulty in the climb when we haven't given ourselves to Christ. It is Christ who ultimately has clean hands. His hands went forth healing and cleansing. Interestingly enough, Jesus was walking one day when a leper came to him, crying out with his flesh oozing and falling off. This man was in a terrible condition and he knew it and his words expressed his desire to be cleansed. He came to Jesus. Jesus was walking by. We find this in the book of Mark chapter one and verse 40 to 41. When this man came to Jesus, he cried out, if you are willing. You can make me clean, the Bible says. Jesus, the Bible says, was moved with compassion. And I always, it always blows my mind when I look at this passage of Scripture in Mark 1 40 and 41. The Bible says Jesus moved with compassion, reached out his hand and touched the leper. And touched the who? The leper. You understand that leprosy is a contagious disease. Jesus reached out his hands and touched the leper and said, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken this, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus with his clean hands was not contaminated by leprosy. Jesus, with his clean hands, was able to transform the life of a man. If we allow the hand of God in our lives, beloved, our lives will be clean. A lot of times what happens with you and I is that Jesus reaches out his hands, and even in our state of leprosy, we say, Lord, no, don't reach so far. Don't reach so deep. Because when Jesus touches us, he touches the very sin of our souls. And even then, Jesus is making an attempt to get us clean. Those who are making the climb has to be clean. Character needs to be cleansed. The difficult climb leads to a man becoming more and more like his Lord, especially as he is cleansed. The Bible goes on. Nor lifted up his soul to an idol. Someone said that today's idols are more in the self than on the shelf. Yes, we might not lift up our souls to some small figures on our walls or something tucked away in a temple, but we do keep idols. In your daily life, what is most important to you? Is it your job, your schedule, your work, your car, your family, your friendships, Your education, when was the last time you stopped to ask yourself, have I been placing my values on things that I can get down here at the bottom of the hill instead of what's at the summit? Maranatha, page 50, uh, paragraph 5 says this. No man enters the portals of glory, but he who sets his heart upward. Then let the questions come home. Do you mind earthly things? Are your thoughts pure? Beloved, are you breathing the atmosphere of heaven? Do you carry with you the miasma of pollution from this earth? Are you earnest and devoted in your relationship with God? Serving God with purity and in the beauty of holiness? Ask sincerely, am I a child of God or am I not? Jesus never bowed to the things of this world. Satan had taken him up on a high mountain, another peak. But Jesus had his eyes set on another hill. And that is where his father dwells. Satan had tempted the Lord and showed him all the great scenery surrounding Jerusalem Jerusalem, and even the entire world. And Satan appealed to Jesus Christ asking him, If you worship, if you bow down and worship me now, I will give you everything here. But Jesus' response was, "Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, "You shall worship the Lord God, and him only, Him only you shall serve." Matthew 4:10. "Beloved, those who climb to the summit are those who fully believe that only God deserves worship. Nothing in this world should deter a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ from falling down and worshiping God only and nothing else in this world. Jesus did that. The Bible says, nor sworn deceitfully. It is with the lips that a man swears. It is with the lips that a man speaks. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord except those who are are careful in the way they talk? He that climbs the hill will not use his tongue to injure Or a fellow mountaineer. A fellow Christian would be uplifted and not torn down by the man who is climbing upward. David speaks about this in Psalm 15. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 15 now. David again approaches the hill of the Lord and he uses the very same question and gives some similar answers and we'll find some details there. David goes on Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And then he adds, he who does not backbite with his tongue or speak evil of his neighbor. Beloved, as you read this psalm, you begin to realize That what David is speaking about is us using the tongue to tear each other down. And that happens a lot on the mountainside. While we're all climbing up to that hill in heaven, or that hill at the top where God dwells, a lot of Christians, we find ourselves talking about that that climber over there. You see, he is not prepared. The way he is living his life does suggest that this person is not destined for the top. We talk about each other. This sister over here looks like she needs oxygen, doesn't she? Uh, this, This person over there, they're wearing the wrong shoes. Don't you realize that you're destined for the top? You need to go change your shoes. Please do so now. You're wearing the wrong color dress. The mountainside is not fit for people like you. Beloved, those things should not be in the lives of Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. If we're destined for the top of the hill, beloved, we need to love the other climbers too. We need to encourage the other climbers and not tear them down. And as you read this psalm, as I read Psalm 24, I realized that I had a problem. Because as I read it, I realized that I was closer to the bottom of the hill than I was to the top. And I asked myself, Lord, am I going to make it? And then I thought about something that is very powerful that I hope you'll allow me to share. I thought about the fact that David asked this question, but he also gave the answer to it. And this psalm did not stop here. Who may ascend and, and, but he, and who has clean hands and a pure heart. But then David goes to the, the, the refrain, the, the chorus of the psalm. And you can imagine that David is talking about someone who is special. And I want to tell you about that person. You see, Jesus had lived at the top of the hill. All of his life he lived at the summit. And he realized that we were all at the bottom of Mount Everest. And he came down to the bottom. And he came down to not only teach climbers how to get there, but he came down to climb up too so that you and I can follow his footsteps. And so Jesus gave an example, but he also gives power for us to get there. Jesus made a way to the top of the hill. And you ought to say amen to that. Jesus made a way for you and I to get there. I look up at the hill of God and I'm thinking, Lord, that is so far away. But then I see Jesus. Who has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I, I, I just can't seem to get there. Jesus says, you know the way. Jesus, what's there for me? And he says, well, there is a mansion prepared for you there. All you need to do is allow me to take you there. Jesus at the top of the hill of the Lord. Psalm 24 is a song. It is a joyous refrain that David is singing that you and I should celebrate too. It explains to us the journey of the Christian, but most importantly, it explains to us the journey of Christ. You see, Jesus came to the bottom of the hill. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4:9, he who ascended also descended. Jesus came down. He was, it was Jesus who was typified in this psalm. It is Jesus who was the first to climb to the peak. And like Edmund Hillary, there was a celebration at the top. And I want to paint that picture for you. Imagine with me. Jesus had died on Friday. The world is saddened. The entire universe is broken. Seeing the Son of God on a cross the one who came to pay the price for sin. And it almost seems that the darkness surrounding Calvary's hill represented the feeling of everyone in the entire universe. The angels were saddened by the fact that their Lord was now here. He was mistreated at the bottom of the hill. He was treated roughly, badly, beaten. A crown of thorns was placed on his head at the bottom of the hill. And he did it all out of love. And just imagine with me as the angels are gazing on these scenes, on this scene, what they're feeling inside their hearts. But then there was Saturday. Jesus was resting in the tomb, and it seemed like all hope was lost. And here it is that the, the, the universe is now silent as Jesus is resting in the tomb on Saturday. And here it is. It's quiet. Almost seemed that sin, Satan, had won the victory over Christ Friday the day had passed night came Saturday day had passed night came then beloved there was Sunday morning there was Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead there was Sunday morning when the life giver became again the one who has life to give Jesus, Jesus rose from the tomb. Spend some time with his disciples and just imagine as Mary came to touch Jesus, Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, for I have not ascended. I have not yet ascended to my Father. Jesus was now destined for the summit. And you're in my imagination, I can see it now as Jesus is in the book of Acts, as the disciples are gazing up at Jesus floating away out of their sight, going up into heaven. Finally, Jesus is making the trip to the top of that mountain. Jesus did not need to take oxygen tanks. Jesus Jesus did not need to take any other machinery or tools. He was just making his way there. King of kings and Lord of lords and and the disciples are gazing at Jesus as as he's making his way now to his father. Just imagine with me as you see the clouds covering him, as you see him fading in the distance, and Jesus now traveled through space. And just imagine with me now that you're in heaven waiting for Jesus to get through those gates. Just imagine with me that you are there waiting for Jesus to finally step foot back on those streets of gold. And as Jesus is now making his way, I just imagine the angels having their trumpets prepared, ready to blow as Jesus makes his way through the gates. Beloved, look with me at the summit. And as David is gazing upon this hill, he begins to write Psalm 24, the latter part of it. Verse 7, David says, almost Incapable, it seemed, to to, to contain himself as he writes these words, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Jesus is making his grand entrance with the scars in his hand, entering heaven. On his way to his father's throne, Jesus had ascended the hill. And now he's he he he's there. The angels are shouting, lift up ye gates. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And let the king of glory come in. The songs resonate all the way through the halls of glory. And this song that David is writing is a song that is responsive in nature. Just imagine a group of angels over one side asking the question, Who is this King of Glory? And then the others responded, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And the refrain comes again Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and let, and the King of Glory shall come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory. Can you hear it? Can you hear the refrain? The King of Glory is making his way into heaven. Who is this King of Glory? Jesus Christ, who came to the bottom of the hill to teach us how to climb. I love Jesus, don't you? Satan had been defeated. We are now his by creation and redemption. Lift up your heads, O you gates. The sacrifice had been made. Lift up your heads, O you gates. The path to the throne is now open. Lift up your heads, O you gates. The Lord of the hill has arrived. Beloved, can't you see Jesus making his way? I don't know about you, but my eyes. My eyes are not set on Mount Everest. I'll never climb Mount Everest. But my eyes are set on another hill. And that hill, in that hill, the king of glory dwells. In that hill, there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. On that hill, I don't have to breathe through a straw. On that hill, I don't have to face extreme temperatures. That hill is not Michigan. (laughs) On that hill, we are in this beautiful place called heaven. And I love Michigan. Don't misunderstand me. Michigan is great. Otherwise, I would not be here. But I tell you, beloved, Michigan is insufficient. Michigan is not the place. Heaven is far better. Jamaica is not perfect either. Heaven is far better. That's where I want to be. That's the hill that I want to get to. That's the summit I want to land. I want, I want to set my feet on. That's the top that I want to get to. And Jesus was not given a medal. He was given a crown. Yeah. He was not Edmund Hillary received the medal, but Jesus received the crown. Beloved, Jesus has ascended the hill of the Lord. David asked a question, but that question is not just for Jesus to answer. That question is for all of us to answer too as Christians. Who may ascend? Will you? Will you climb that hill too? Beloved, we have to climb. There might be some difficulty as we make our way. To the top of the hill. There might be some moments where you fall down and you're thinking, I'm not going to make it. But remember, Jesus has made a way. You have to remember that before you is glory. Down here, there's nothing for us, beloved. I wish I could paint a perfect picture of heaven for you, but I've never been there. Ask me when I finally get there. And I always tell people, when I get to heaven, you're gonna to have to join the line because I'm gonna be first in line to talk to Jesus. You may come at the end of a thousand, you may come at the end of 200 years, and you're like Jermaine, are you still talking? Yes, yes. Just give us a few more moments, please. Wait in line, beloved. I can't wait to get to the top of that hill. I can't wait to get to the hill of the Lord. Do you want to be there? Beloved, if that's where you want to be, and again, this world is going to have its troubles, it's going to have its problems, but we have to keep our focus in the right place. We have to set our desires in heaven. We have to set our ambition there. We, we have to make ourselves experts. We, we have to allow God to make us experts down here. We have to have experience with the Lord. And what I'm asking you to do today is to announce to the world, that you are destined for another place. If it is your desire to ascend that hill, your desire to answer David's question, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And you want to say, David, I will take you up on that. I invite you to stand. God has prepared things that are far better on that hill. And I can't wait. I keep saying that I can't wait to get there. Amen. I want you to remember Psalm 24. Our dear beloved Aunt Ginny has passed away. I remember how that felt. And I, uh, it made me long for heaven more. We're not destined for dawn here. This is the bottom of the hill. And I hope that your desire is to, be, is to be there with the Lord. And we need to be there with him. Now, I can't wait for that great get in the morning, that, that resurrection day when Jesus will make the sound and call the dead from the graves. And we'll all ascend. That's, we'll all ascend that hill. We'll climb together. And that's my prayer let us pray together Father things don't look great down here where you are is much better I I want to climb and we're standing here today Lord to let you know that we also want to climb Father, you're asking for faithful Christians. You're asking for Christians who are willing to give everything for you. You're not asking for us to make a small investment, to make, to cut, to cut corners. You're asking us for lay asking us to lay everything on the line. And we're standing today, Lord, because we want to say that to you. We want to lay everything on the line for you, Jesus. We want to ascend the hill. Down here is not where we belong. This world of sin and sorrow is getting only worse. And, Lord, we want to be where you are. So we ask you, Lord, make within us a clean heart. Cleanse our hands that have been defiled. Make us more like you, Jesus. And we ask all of this, thanking you so much for the Bible and for what it teaches. Thanking you for the Holy Spirit being present here today. We ask you, Father, that you may continue to create a longing within our hearts to get to the summit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen.